Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Fireside Chats. My name is Colin Moriarty. Today, as always, I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is Mike Bashir, but it's spelled B-A-C-I-O-R. It is, in fact. So I asked him if it was Bashir. That's usually a question I get, or I, I ask rather almost immediately when I meet someone yeah. for the show. Typically, I can figure my way out around a yeah. name, but every once in a while, I butcher one. Yep. And that wasn't too... You must get that a lot. No, Bassier. no. Bassior is definitely okay. I've heard Backwire. I've heard Bassior. I've heard Bayshore. Yeah. I've heard everything. Bayshore, yeah. Long Island. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's it. I don't know what order these are going to go up in, but this is somewhat of an historic episode because this is the last one I'm recording I know. Uh, in the run of Fireside Chats. But I don't know what nope. order Dustin will put No pressure. Morning. No pressure. Right? No pressure at all. We're going to have strong... <laughs> and I'm going to do my own solo episode. So it's not technically yeah, for sure. the end. I got you. Uh, but I appreciate you coming through. You reached out to me a little while ago. Mm-hmm to talk about, uh, well, let, let me just throw it back to you. What, what did you reach out to me about? Sure. So basically about how the process by which corporations recruit at universities and kind of the target recruiting model as a whole and really how that ties to this kind of idea I have about what I call soft knowledge. Like a lot of what you do in life comes down to hard knowledge. Say so you go to college, you study computer science. Like in theory, you go, that's great. You get a 4.0, you go work at Google. But in reality, there's a lot more to it. It's a lot about how you navigate the interview processes, how you get referrals, how you navigate your early career, how you find the rules for the right trajectory, et cetera. And just, I do a lot of blogging on my own time. I talk to a lot of friends. I do some coaching, et cetera. And I try to kind of educate people who may not know better on how to navigate some of those processes that may not be obvious at first. Because to a lot of people, it's stuff that's secondhand. Their parents know how to guide them through it. They know how to, to navigate this process. And I try to fill that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, how old are you? I'm 20, uh, geez, 24, about to be 25. 24. All right. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you, sir. And you went to college, I assume? Yep. I had a bachelor's degree from uh, Penn State University in economics. Very nice. 2017. Great school. Congratulations. Pretty good school. Yeah. Yeah, Not bad. Yeah, it's all right. Not bad. Uh, Okay. So this is an interesting topic to me because Mm -hmm. where I went to school, Northeastern, Mm -hmm. is a world famous university for its co-op program. Yep. Um, as I'm, as you might know. They're yeah, and actually, not to cut you off, yeah, no, but, please. Um, I found I found that interesting too because my company, uh, it's a consulting firm. I have no problem saying it. it's called Lek Consulting. Obviously, I don't represent them, but we hire our co-ops exclusively from Northeastern. So I'd heard you talking about that from before. Yeah. So I work with these what we call case team assistants all the time, and they're all like sophomores, juniors from Northeastern. Yeah, uh, Northeastern is a five-year university. So yeah. to explain it to people. Most universities, as you guys know, is four years, uh, freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. At Northeastern, we have a year called Middler. And um, this is actually a year I didn't do. I went to Northeastern for five years, but it was because I just spread out my classes. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually co-op. I Mm -hmm. interned while I was going to school. But at Northeastern, they encourage you to do what's called co-oping, which is Mm -hmm. where you take either six months or a year in between your typically your freshman and sophomore year and then your junior and senior year where you go out into the world and you work. And you really work. You work. You get paid. It's not an internship. And uh, a lot of people I know did this, including my girlfriend, Erin, who's an ER nurse with like 12 years experience now. That's how she started. And so it's uh, something that's near and dear to me because this was a massive part of the Northeastern experience and why this and a a pretty substantial reason why it's a top 50 school um, is because it puts people out into the world that are prepared uh, to work at these companies because they literally did work at the companies. And there's you might know better than me, but there is some stat in engineering and architecture and a few other places in Northeastern where something like a third of all students at, at, that graduate get a job at the place that they co-opt. Yeah, so in I, other words, they have a job I, waiting for I them. don't doubt it. And it actually connects to what I was talking about initially yeah. because other universities are starting to roll it out too. Drexel University in Philly has a similar five-year program now. And it's kind of a way of force-feeding students what I'm talking about where I know you said it's not an internship, but in a lot of ways it is. No, it, it is. I'm just it's, saying it's yeah, paid. It's getting so, you ahead of the yeah. game. 
And it's saying like, okay, maybe students won't all know that they like need to do this and it's going to help them get a great job. So we're going to actually make them. And it's, it's brilliant. And it helps you get more out of your tuition dollars as a whole too. I think so too. And uh, at Northeastern, you stop paying tuition when you go do this, which is cool because the school's so fucking expensive. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's funny too. There's, I guess the other side of the sword is that I knew a couple of people at Northeastern that didn't go back to school that yeah. like got a co- like co-op and then stayed mm-hmm. at the company because I don't know how much money they were making, but when you're a poor college kid and you're yeah. making $50,000 a year, it's like, well, it can be hard to go back. Yeah, exactly. So I actually knew a couple of people that, um, I think one company EMC, which is a huge company in Massachusetts specifically, mm-hmm. uh, poaches a bunch of people from Northeastern. So mm-hmm. it's very cool. I, I I'm excited to talk to you about this today. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm interested in, in about you is that you're so young. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I say that not as an insult, but because oh, yeah. you have, it seems like you've gathered wisdom mm-hmm. that it takes a lot of people a lot longer. I mean, I'm 10 years older than mm-hmm. you. Um, and I don't know if I have all that wisdom either. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, how did you find your way into this is almost like, um, this seems like a hybrid of like motivation and, uh, expertise and stuff. It's almost like Tony Robbins meets yeah. like a really pragmat, pragmatic school counselor. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no. So, that's yeah, fair. so, t- but I don't mean that as an insult. No, I mean, no, it, it, I it's, it's good. It. I mean, it's the I reason why I watch Joel Steen, even though I'm an atheist, yep. because I just like listening to people inspirational talk and talk about what you need to do and stuff. So yeah. how did you find your way into something like this so young? I guess the, the key moment for me was I was actually a sophomore and I was just going through this myself. I had a 3.8 GPA in economics, Penn State, pretty good school. I'm like, all right, I'm going to apply. It's a very good school. Stop saying it's a pretty good school. It's like one of the great schools. Uh, in the United States. I'm around <laughs> interesting people. You, they wouldn't say that. But anyway, <laughs> we can talk more about that. But I was having, I was starting to throw out applications. I think I applied to about 70, 70 places. Actually, I remember it was 73. I'm not going to pretend not to remember. I was a little salty at the time. But I noticed like I couldn't get any interviews. Like I was like, what's going on? I have a good GPA. I have good grades. I'm not applying to like, I'll just work at Google. I'm applying to like just normal internships. And I kind of realized that I started to see other kids around me getting those internships, getting different internships, getting ahead of the game. I realized we were almost playing two different games. They seemed to know something I didn't. And so I was like, all right, I'm not only like motivated by this, but like annoyed by this. And I want to figure out what's going on. So I started just pouring myself into it, just trying to like, just scouring the internet. And luckily they had this great tool they invented, people may have heard of called LinkedIn, which is amazing because, you know, a lot of this, this network, this knowledge you get informally from other people, but I started just hitting up alumni left and right. How do I do this? How do I do that? And started to kind of all synthesize that all together and picture the roadmap. And I had this very like sort of clear awakening and it was hard. I mean, that summer I ended up getting an unpaid internship in Philadelphia. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is like 90 miles west. And like I had to drive <laughs> because I didn't have any money to live there. And I was like, but I started to see the path of like, this had some good technical skills. If I can build this brand, this for next summer, I'll get something better. From there, I'll be able to build on that, get something better for full-time. By the time I came out full-time, I was in a much better place. So I started to put all those pieces together and I've taken just a genuine interest in helping other people do the same. Because I think it really is hard if your dad can't necessarily pat you on the back and say, hey, Mike, like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you got to figure out. There's here's a lot an old buddy it. I can talk to. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. exactly. Which is fine. I'm not hating on that Yeah, that's at all. great. Legacy like, stuff is great. It's that's how I hard. got to Northeastern. Yeah, and, it, and, yeah, and it's, it's, it's fucking hard if you don't have that to, to figure it out. And I think it a lot of people could could get more out of their lives if they knew that. No, that's great. That's but, great that did sound a little, little Tony robbins so I apologize. No, it's good. <laughs> Is there like a path, like a collegiate path that teaches this naturally? Because I, mm-hmm. I ask that only because economics mm-hmm. is so left-brained and a fascinating mm-hmm. uh course of study i love economics i love Me the too. idea that no one really understands anything about the economy like yeah. when it comes down to it. i love that i you love talking to talk people. on that yeah like <laughs> my i don't know if you've listened to uh, tiana lowe who's been on my show a couple times she's a writer at washington examiner mm-hmm. um and she's graduated from usc with economic with an economics degree and she has so many fascinating things to say that i don't i didn't even 
I run a business. I've run two yep. businesses and have been pretty successful in there. Things where I'm like, ah, oh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, it's fascinating. So it's a to- totally fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. But are they are they parallel to each other? Like I, this seems like mm-hmm. so right brain to me in a, in a way. Like you seem so mm-hmm. technical mm-hmm. with your study. So how does this all make sense? Like yeah, I mean, I, like when you left, like what did you want to do when you left school? So I mean. I think it'd be helpful to understand how mm. I thought about it. And okay. I looked at all of these sort of cool, like kind of, if you want to say, businessy type of jobs. I thought about being in a strategy consulting firm, being a banker, et cetera, that frankly just wouldn't talk to me. And the way I theorized was like, all right, you know, basic economic supply and demand. There's a broad labor market need for people with technology skills. So I started to build those through the internship, through some of my coursework, and kind of use that to get in a position where I could get big company names on my resume that would help me brand myself. And then when it came time to it, I could actually pivot back into something more what I wanted to do using the credibility I'd already established. So rather than try to find the hardest way in, and I I think it's maybe as hard to conceptualize, but it's actually a big block for people. Like you might be at home and say like, I really like finance. And you say, well, how do I be, you know, Jordan Belfort or whoever it is. But figuring out those intermittent steps is really important. And for me, that was just a lot of grunt work. Like I said, like internet research, talking to people, synthesizing. And I had this very clear awakening where I decided to go into consulting, which is my current career, where this is almost embarrassing to admit, but I was doing my internship. I was living in St. Louis between my junior and senior year, and I stumbled on a Reddit thread that had all the like consulting salaries for every firm. And I was like, whoa, why did nobody tell me about this? Right. Like, this is what a 23-year-old can make. I'm from central Pennsylvania. I don't, I've never seen this sort of thing before. Right. And this is entirely feasible. They hired droves of grads every year. You just have to know how to navigate the process and make the basic criteria. And so kind of Meshing that all together, yes, it was very separate from my curriculum, but some of the core principles I learned in economics definitely informed that thesis. It's fascinating because this almost goes against the grain and will allow us to explore a whole, a totally different mm-hmm. uh, line of thinking than what we usually explore on here, which is I've tried to tell people, and I say it from a place of privilege in some sense because mm-hmm. I was able to go and I graduated and I did it, but that mm-hmm. college seems to be waning in importance and that I feel like a lot of people are wasting their time there. I completely agree. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's it's uh, I don't want that message to be put out there as mm-hmm. if like no one should be going to college. Right. Yeah. Like obviously you found your way mm-hmm. through this because of college, but also because you seem to be so self-motivated. I mean, yeah. this is a, this is what I get out of you immediately. Were you always like <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a workaholic. Yeah, I man. totally get it. Yeah. yeah. Like I sit at this. I have mixed all... feelings about that coming across so easily. But well, yeah. no, I mean, <laughs> because it <laughs> working hard or workaholism, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. like overworking, it, it, it's just a matter of of how you portray it. Some mm-hmm. people really like it mm-hmm. and they like figuring yeah. out the puzzle and they like doing all that kind of stuff. So you, you strike me as that kind of yeah, person. For sure. And uh, so I think this allows us to explore a different message, which is the importance of, of a collegiate education. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly these uh, lessons can help yeah. people in their lives. But it's it's fascinating because what you're saying mm-hmm. is you don't go from uh, T-ball to the MLB. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah, there's like terms, literally a yeah. hundred steps in between those. Yeah, and those steps are often much harder to figure out. And you, of course you can look at... Um, Freaking Alex Rodriguez or whatever, and say I want to be that. Right. But it's really hard to say what was Alex Rodriguez doing at age seventeen, and how do I do that? Like, there's no film on that. You kind of have to piece it together yourself. Um, and I think, yeah, this topic is very intersectional. And when you talk about college, like talk about college, it's just too often when we have the the conversation about college politically, we treat it as this one like singular box. Um, and I was actually thinking about this a lot recently because I wrote something about basically putting the idea out there that what if colleges had to co-sign your loans, which is on service level, sort of ridiculous, right? But the idea is just what if you gave them some sort of incentive and tied them to the risk that the students take on when they're 18 years old? And a lot of colleges are just so unhinged from that risk that they're 
selling hopes and dreams, right? Like maybe if you go to Penn State and Northeastern and you get these great internships and you study the right majors, then you can find a way to really get strong ROI out of that. But for a lot of schools that are kind of trapped in the say like 100 to 1000 ranking level, there's not much differentiation. And Peter Thiel says this, I don't agree with it exactly. He says it ends up being more of a dunce hat where companies don't hire you. But when you start exploring some of what I was talking about earlier, like target recruiting model, like for example, Google, they'll tell you they'll hire anyone. They have a very strict list of universities they hire from. And there might be some slight deviation from that for specific needs or if like someone's kid went to a different school, but they stick to that. So by walling yourself out in those lesser ranked schools, quote unquote, it might be harder to find the ROI you want. I don't mean that to diminish any school. No, no, I mean, it's, it's great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting mm-hmm. because... It probably shouldn't matter. No, uh, I, I don't be, think it should at all. And, no. and frankly, in my current company, like Penn State isn't on that list. Northeastern is not on that list, even through the co-op program. They hire essentially at all like Ivy, Ivy, Ivy Plus. Yeah. Ivy, Ivy Plus. So you'll see like Duke and Princeton, Yale, Chicago. And I meet all these kids and I feel like, oh, I kind of slipped in the door as an experienced hire because I had like a different relevant experience. But yeah, that's the way that's the way it works for I mean, companies. And it's not well advertised. And colleges yeah. will never tell you that if they're not on the list. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that's crazy just in the sense that yeah, it's the, yeah. I guess, post 100 colleges kind of blur yeah. together for a lot of people. But mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, startling that even Penn mm-hmm. State and Northeastern, which are both in the top 50 yeah, uh, or even top 40, I would say, um, and I would love are to, not on the list. I, w- I would love to tell people, too, that if you don't believe me or think this is too abstract, there's a great tool. It's called LinkedIn.com slash alumni. It will take you to your school if you're logged in on your profile. You can put in one at any school. You'll see how many people work at every company from your university. And you'll notice real quick if... Google's only ever hired two people from your school, then maybe your odds of working at Google at this school aren't super great. That's right? fascinating. And, so th- and you can even look by function too. And sometimes they'll split it out. Like Vanguard, for example, is in Philly area for the headquarters. They'll hire customer service at some of the local state schools, but they won't hire finance. There's a lot to it. That's fascinating. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. You're a smart kid because you're finding data where no one seems to be mining it usefully. No. Uh, yeah. it, I hate to use this example, but uh, I'm going to. As you can see behind me on my desk, it's a G.I. Joe uh, battlefield uh, right now. Uh, it's a fucking graveyard is what it really is. And the way people uh, figure out what these things are worth is by mm-hmm. going to eBay and tracking mm-hmm. not what something's being asked for, but what it is sold at mm-hmm. for a really long period of time. And yeah. then synthesizing that information into these documents that people share around and mm-hmm. print books like that. And I and I love that because that information's out there. Yeah, that's it's just that no one has used it. So if you know if you're overpaying, you know what to pay. It's very smart. Yeah. But it just requires someone like you to go in and be like, this is actually how we figure it out. And that's market valuation 101. Like at my current company, we'll look at particular markets, try to size them for their total value. We might say, our, say we're looking at grocery stores. We'll talk to grocery store clerks and say, how many cans of Campbell's soup did you move this month? What price were they selling at it? Okay, well, if you said that and there's 100 of you in this area, and then we can extrapolate that same ratio to an entire state. Guess what? We have a picture of how much soup is selling. And this is, and this is, it's fascinating <laughs> because analogy. this is, but this is what people pay you to do because people yeah. don't know how to do it or don't think to do it. That mm-hmm. the, the information's like in between the lines and the ether. But it's there. And yeah. if, you, if you're willing to hustle and willing to have some fundamental skills that can help you analyze it, it's there. Are you a go-getter in like everything in your life? Like, uh, in other words, like when you, and I don't mean, I, again, yeah. I, I feel like you think I'm making fun of you. I'm no, not, no, I'm you're not definitely not. I'm, laughing, you. I'm laughing at how quickly you're perceiving me. I'm not laughing yeah, uh, at it being untrue. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty perceptive. I've been yeah, doing yeah, this I for a long time. It. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. talked to a lot of people. Yeah. 
are you eager in everything that you do? Because I, I can't say that I am. I'm yeah. like really crazy about certain things, like mm -hmm. my work, my business, like very mm -hmm. rigorous and very mm -hmm. rigid in the way I do things. But then there's other shit where I'm like, like with football, for instance, right? Like I love football, mm -hmm. but I actually unsubscribe from everything mm -hmm. NFL from June until August, right? Mm -hmm. I don't watch it. I don't pay attention to it. I'm not that into it until the time comes for me to be into it again. Mm -hmm. Are you like really steadfast in the way you approach everything that you do, whether it's study or whether it's work mm -hmm. or relationships? I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, I would say broad answer is no. The more narrow answer is intellectually, yes. Like I'm just an insatiable thirst for knowledge, like in terms of whether it's history, economics, business, especially those three subjects, but even beyond just in general, like you could get me excited about anything. Like I'm reading right now, I'm reading a book called Wages of Destruction, which is an economic history of um, the Nazi regime, the Third Reich, and like their sort of economic mo motivations behind Liebenstrom and some other things is written by Adam Living Tews. space. So, yeah, living space. <laughs> Sorry, Liebenstrom. No, I know. I, I, I'm not, again, not yeah, yeah. Liebensraum is, yeah, uh, yeah. is, is the, uh, yeah. It was the idea that they needed space to the East, which, you know, it's a whole ridiculous thing, but it was interesting learning about their policies, et cetera. And I feel like I have that approach to a lot of things that I could just always keep learning. Um, and does, it doesn't stop anywhere. But as far as like personal life, there's a lot of things I just don't care. Like, this morning, like my Uber driver got in a fender bender. Really? Part of me is gonna like freak out. <laughs> oh, interesting. I was just like, thinking if about I'm that. Like in a restaurant, sometimes I'm like, yeah. I don't know. If I'm at the grocery store trying to decide cereal, don't care. <laughs> oh, very. So yeah, you use you use your bandwidth yep. for these very specific things, which I think everyone does. I think it's much better to focus on on some things and yeah. use all your bandwidth in that regard yeah. than just be spread thin. Mm -hmm. All and right. It's good not to feel boxed in. Like you know, like yeah. I think there's a lot of things in life that tell you that you need to be like in a box. You're this or that. Why? Like just. Be yourself. Chase what interests you at all times, even if it's not your day job. Well, you said something interesting earlier that I wanted to touch on that speaks to what you just said, which is that you had said at 20, at the ripe age of 24 turning 25, this is your career right now. Mm -hmm. You're at a college for two years, three years mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. Was that an intentional thing to say that this is my career right now? In other words, mm -hmm. like, do you anticipate an evolution, a Pokemon-like evolution <laughs> as it were, into, like into something else. Because so, like when you leave college, mm -hmm. you're an engineer, you're going to uh, Google or mm -hmm. Oracle or whatever, that's mm -hmm. kind of your career. I mean, yeah. you might go to different jobs, but you're already speaking as a mid-20s person yeah. about this is your career right now, which is a very modern thing. Yep. But I'm wondering, is that intentional? It is intentional. And I think um, it goes back to some of that soft knowledge. And another thing I'll touch on is like, when you talk about some of these big traditional career paths, like being a consultant at these elite firms or being a banker at Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, or being an engineer at Google, part of the value, yes, is what you're getting paid right there, but those careers open doors. It's another filter you pass through, and there's new opportunities New opportunities you're able to access simply by going through that sort of like boot camp, if you will. And I think consulting is a classic example of that, where people go do it two, three, four years, and then the doors that open up beyond that are even better, which is why it, the value prop is so enticing to students who get into it. And I have that same approach. I think that's smart. That's, again, very modern mm -hmm. because I don't know that we can be so rigid anymore, no, generally a, speaking. I don't think it's a good approach to say, like, this is going to be my job. And that's that's how my high school counselors taught it. That's honestly how my parents taught it. And that's all fine. I don't blame any of them. But it's good to be adaptive and keep building on your knowledge base and not assume an end state as, as always being the goal. Everyone kind of thinks, like, what is the next end state for me? I don't look at it that way. It's just like a progressive journey. So when you're doing this job you're doing now, mm -hmm. consultancy, what does that re require? A, a corporation or, a, or an individual comes to you and asks you guys to study something, uh, basically? Yeah. Um, so we're, my, my firm particularly, again, don't speak for them, we're a strategy and, and private equity firm mostly. So what that usually looks like is 
say company X, let's say uh, the makers of GI Joe come and say, we want to figure out how to sell more toys. Well, we'll look at the market for toys, understand how their preferences have changed, understand how we can better mat match those preferences through products, um, help them figure out that. The other side of it is private equity. So I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, private equity. Like investment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like typically you have public equity is like, you know, you go buy Uber stock, it's liquid, right. it's public markets. Private equity is like investment firms actually buy private companies and sell them for profit. So they hire us to do strategic analyses of these companies. So when I'm talking about these different market studies we might be doing to understand what's out there, it might be like, you know, private equity firm X wants to buy the company that makes G.I. Joe and they want to sell Hasbro them in five Hasbro of Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Yeah, sorry. I don't know them well enough. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but they might want to buy them, assuming they're a private company, right. and then five years later sell them for profit. And right. they're, they're looking at us to say, well, what's the competition look like? What's the market look like? Is there growth ahead? Um, so it's, it's interesting. I like it. Cool. So that's that's fine. Not advertising. There's the, no, know. no, of course. And <laughs> as I said, I, I I'm almost. You brought up Uber stock. I own Uber stock. So we. we I know. I like it. that you disclose that when you talk. I have about to. It. You have to. I, I don't I, think. I, it, I think it's I wrong. I feel like anything. I'm a broken record. I just yeah. feel like it's no, wrong. It's always not. good. Every time I write anything about investing, I always disclose. Yeah, uh, and I own other stuff too, but we just never talk about it. But yeah, that 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 comes up. But uh, I feel like people are like, we get it. But I'm like, no, I need. I need to disclose these things so mm -hmm. you can trust me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because I yeah. could just talk this shit up all day mm -hmm. and not disclose that. So I think that's really important. But I like that you're discussing this uh, consultancy and kind of what you're learning, yeah. not only in the moment. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're serving your client, but also serving yourself oh, yeah. in order that you might gain the necessary uh, mental capital in order to move on. to yeah, And to like the natural next. thing, a lot of times people from my side of the fence, the consultancy might flip over the other side and work for the private equity firm, right? So maybe that's what I'll do. And that's heavily tied to venture capital. And those would probably be the two fields I would look at next personally. Very lucrative for you <laughs> if you can get into those fields. If you're good too, yeah. Yeah. Especially. If you, yeah, if you, well, you like Peter Thiel. Uh, I'm sure you like uh, Weinstein and those guys. They know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Uh, and for people that don't know, Peter Thiel is most famous recently for basically funding the Glocker lawsuit takedown. But yep. uh, he what's founded. Your, what's your take on that? I'm curious. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have. Ne so for people that don't know, P Peter Thiel founded PayPal, right? Or co-founded PayPal? Co-founded PayPal. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, a few others. And he's a venture. He's a conservative gay, moderate conservative gay Silicon Valley uh, funder. Mm -hmm. Right. And. He was outed by a Gawker site called Valleywag in mm -hmm. like 2007 yeah, or something they, like that. The article was called P Peter Thiel is totally gay, people. Right. And called. and Peter Thiel was keeping that to himself at the time. And it's like kind of this awkward contradiction for him. And mm -hmm. he was a big Trump supporter and stuff like that as well. Mm -hmm. I have never seen someone play the slow game in my entire life like Peter Thiel played the slow game mm -hmm. against Gawker. It's fucking awesome. And so for people that don't know, Hulk Hogan, th this is all connected, I promise everyone. Hulk Hogan had a sex tape with the wife of this radio host in Florida. His friend. Uh, his friend Bubba the Love Sponge was yeah. the guy's name. Or his radio name. And this was leaked. And there was Gawker leaked this tape. And Hulk Hogan sued Gawker and won. Gawker went out of business because Hulk Hogan basically <laughs> bankrupted the company. And what ended up being discovered right after that was that Peter Thiel funded his law team, mm -hmm. his legal team, mm -hmm. uh, in order to take out Gawker with a proxy. Mm -hmm. fucking brilliant i love it I, brilliant. I i like i can't get over it yeah and regardless what you think of it there's a brilliant lesson there which is that i think as people we're constantly struggling to think on long time horizons and it, it ties what we're talking about earlier to right. 
people are always kind of thinking on very short time horizons. What does this do for me now? What does it do for me in the next year? Maybe even two years. But if you can start to push your brain to think on three, five, seven year time horizons, I think you start to unlock a whole different world of things you can accomplish. That sounds super freaking motivational, but it's true. And I think that's a good example. Regardless of what do you think of whether you think it's right, he thought way ahead. He looked for the right opportunity. He took it and he did something he really wanted to do, which was actually super hard to do. They got sued all the time. This wasn't wasn't easy to get them out of business. It's um, it's an unbelievable story. Mm-hmm. Like I I know that it's chilling to some people with the journalistic nature of it, but there was no journalistic. Uh, candidly, there's no journalistic value to Hulk Hogan's fucking some woman, uh, mm-hmm. and that they put that out there. They did it for clicks and all that kind of stuff, and they paid the price. And I agree with you. It wasn't only that he waited; it's that he saw mm-hmm. this man who was gonna go after these guys and was like, "Fuck." What a great proxy for what I want to do to these guys. And he won. I, if yeah. I were Peter Thiel yep. and after that happened, I'd be like laughing for days yep. that I actually pulled that off yeah, and, and actually made these guys eat shit, <laughs> right? Like eat the ultimate level of shit yeah. where they lost everything. Yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe a sinister kind of example, but certainly <laughs> an example nonetheless of a, uh, of a long game kind of thing. Now, do people take umbrage with your age? And we talked about this earlier, mm-hmm. but you talk with a confidence and a and a wisdom that belies your actual age do some people when you walk into these rooms not take you seriously or do they know better because they work in a world where the the great idea can come from the young kid the the, yeah. the great knowledge can come from anyone so uh, i assume that these people yeah. know a thing or two about who to judge and not judging a book by its cover yeah i'll separate the question in the sense that yeah. Um, professionally, I mean, I work at a consulting firm. There's a lot of young people. We have older people, managers, partners that lead us. So in that context, it's totally just, it's just normal. Like I'm, I'm part of this team. I do some sort of analysis. If I speak up on a call, that's fine. Um, personally, if I'm giving advice to people about careers, things like that, I mean, I'm not forcing down anything, anyone's, right. down anyone's throat and I help people, I help my friends, I help people that I want to see them do better. And I always try to be positive and motivating. I don't think it's ever an issue. And I think most people are happy to, to have someone that's willing to help, you know, strategize with them a little bit and. And think about their situations as if they were their own. How do you shut that part of your brain off to um, to not see the long game or to not see the strategy in something, but to just see it as it is or enjoy things as they come or whatever the case might be? Are you mm-hmm. able to shut that part of you off? I think so. I mean, I just I have a lot of things that I enjoy and a lot of things I do are, are not with any sort of game in mind. It's just I do them because I do them. Like this book I'm reading about the Nazi economy. There's nothing I'm really getting out of that. I right. mean, it's great. It's knowledge long term. Always, it's always good. But. I just enjoy it. I love UFC. It's my favorite sport. I go to the bar on Saturday night just like anyone else and pound the table when Daniel Cormier comes out to fight for the heavyweight title. It's a UFC, former UFC heavyweight champion, if anyone doesn't know. But no, I, I can shut it off for sure. But when I want to, when something is really important to me, I really challenge myself to think in that manner because I think it's useful. I think it's especially important that what you touch on, which is like extraneous knowledge. I'm really a huge fan of it. And this is only a small fraction of the books uh, that I own uh, on the shelf next to you. Mm -hmm. People can't see it, obviously, but it's littered with books that uh, that have meaningless, really ultimately meaningless topics. There's literally a book on there I read about salt that -hmm. like about the history of salt. And there's like all and people are confused sometimes. Like, Mm -hmm. well, why do you why is your curiosity so insatiable or so expansive where Mm -hmm. The show, I mean, Fireside Chats itself, it, it kind of it's kind of convenient. It was dedicated to that, to yeah. the fact that like I can find and do find almost anything fascinating. Dog grooming. Dog grooming. I mean, dude, I literally can talk to anyone about anything. If I could follow a dude around at night at Safeway and like watch him <laughs> stock shelves and like learn how it's done, like mm-hmm. not that it takes great, you know, mechanical skill, but like, what do you do? Like, what? How, I'm really fascinated in learning about the operational nature of, of, of anything. Yeah, it seems like you are. Mm-hmm. 
are you disappointed? Like, I mean, this is somewhat of a leading question, but mm -hmm. are you disappointed like I am that like this isn't a more common thing? And I'm not saying that people need to sit down and read books about the Third Reich, but yeah. what I'm saying is, is that I'm always confused that people aren't naturally predisposed to want to further mm -hmm. whatever the knowledge might be. It could be the knowledge about fucking anything. I don't care what it is, yeah. but it just seems like a lot of people are satiated with whatever they know and whatever they do. That's the one thing that I get a little disappointed in. And I'm wondering how you interpret that. Yeah, it, it is disappointing, but I think it bothered me more when I was younger. And you know, I talked to people and realized like, wow, they don't want to talk about the same stuff as me or they don't have the desire to talk about it for the same length or the same depth. But as I get older, I just realize everybody has their own things that make them happy. And if I'm going to stand on a pedestal and judge them, I don't think that's fair. Right. And also to a great degree, people are a product of their experience. And, you know, my parents always pushed on me, like, read all these books, like ask all these questions, do all this. And if, if you didn't, like, maybe I would be different. And as long as I can be happy in that context for myself, that's okay, too. It, it is interesting that I think you and I both come from a somewhat privileged place. I don't, and again, I use that word again earlier, and I don't like that word. But in the sense that I come from a middle class, maybe even upper middle class background, I can't presume what middle what background you come from. Middle, uh, middle class as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Harrisburg's pretty middle class from my experience. And <laughs> although there's bad, there's bad places everywhere. I mean, there's bad places where I'm from. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think that a lot of people, like I grew, we grew up in somewhat secure surroundings, For financially sure. secure, uh, uh, literally secure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that what's lost and what I try to parlay to people is is. I get that if you're working at McDonald's 10 hours a day mm -hmm. and you're not playing a video game like I do or you weren't lucky enough to do the things that I do or, or, or whatever, fortunate enough, mm -hmm. you don't want to fucking read about the history yeah. of salt when you get home. You want to fucking go put your feet up and watch uh, Jeopardy or watch, you know, fucking some trash TV or whatever the case might be. Yeah. And I get that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's I think it's part of the balance of understanding that people just don't like time is currency and people just don't necessarily have it. Yeah, and like I said, it just depends on the context, depends what makes you tick. And mm. I don't know, I know a lot of people that are in very blue-collar jobs. They they like to work with their hands. They get some sort of like, maybe it's like almost a replacement for what I get out of reading these books, getting this intellectual satisfaction out of building things, doing things mechanically, whereas I don't have that ability at all. I no, me neither. I couldn't fix anything if I tried. So, I mean, I get that. And I, what makes me sad is when the lack of curiosity becomes like life impeding, you know? Like I had a lot of friends that maybe had a lot of potential in life, but ended up maybe getting into to drugs and, and things of that nature. And that's where it gets more disappointing to me. But someone going off finding their own happiness and want, not wanting to come home and read the same book as me, that's all right. Too. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think that, yeah, it's the ones that fall off along the way, like you said, that are kind of sad, the people that you knew that had great potential. And I actually think everyone has I think so too. latent potential. I think so too. Right? Like, you really can do anything i really think a lot of it and i really mean that literally mm -hmm. i really do think you could you could do anything mm -hmm. i don't i think i don't even think it's bound by necessarily the laws of what we understand about our universe if, if you want to do something else then then push and and, and go in that direction mm -hmm. uh, if you want to rip a space uh, a hole in space time and try to travel quicker i'm sure that's possible you just gotta figure out how to do it so uh do you think that the plate therefore is laziness um this is a thing that we have to contrast mm -hmm. with the, the so the person that doesn't want to read the Third Reich book mm -hmm. isn't lazy. No. They're, they're not necessarily sure. interested. But the person that doesn't read anything to mm -hmm. me ever is lazy. Mm -hmm. And that and I'm not saying even a book, a periodical, a magazine, read the newspaper, whatever. That's a, a different kind of thing. And I'm wondering if you look at laziness mm -hmm. as like this um, or contentness as this 
this evil that I do. Like where I'm like, this is this this thing, this yeah. one thing, laziness, yeah. is the downfall of so many people. And I'm wondering if you can talk to me a little bit about how you feel about that notion, because yeah. I, I feel like it's just the thing that everyone's circumnavigating all the time. Mm -hmm. The ability to not procrastinate, the ability to do, the ability to not be lazy, but everyone defaults to it eventually. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you feel about that. I think um, the best way to put it is, have you ever read the book 1984? Yes, of course. See, so are you familiar with the, the concept of double think? Yes. It's the idea basically that you can know something is true and still not believe it or vice versa, right? Like you can live with contradiction. And to me, this is one of those areas for me. Everything in the way I live my life is to is in agreement with you in the sense that it's it's kind of this poison I'm avoiding. And at the same time, I refuse to accept that it's kind of everyone's fault if they decide to go that route. I think there's a lot of things in that equation that ultimately make that determination. And ultimately, it always boils down to this tough philosophical question of what percentage of your life outcome do you think is attributed to you or your surroundings? And nobody really knows the answer. I fall somewhere in the like, maybe 80% surroundings, 20% you. Other people might say 50-50. That's what my dad always says. Some people might say 20-80. Yeah, nature versus nurture. Yeah, and that, that philosophical question makes it so hard to navigate so many different issues when you talk about even basic issues like the welfare state or taxation or I shouldn't call those basic issues or who gets the most out of their university degree. I always err on the side of not to blame people, but at the same time, I live my, live my life in the opposite manner, believing anything's possible. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It, the, 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 the nature of belief is really fascinating in the sense that that's probably half the equation in and of itself is, is not only going and finding the tools, like you said, like the soft knowledge and this hard knowledge, but mm -hmm. also the belief that you can apply it in yeah. some tangible way. Right. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that, that much, I, I feel like that probably is what's so intimidating to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Is not necessarily that they don't know anything. It's that they don't they don't have the courage to apply it. And in, in uh, my opinion, yeah. they just don't see it. Yeah. Like, if all you've seen in your life is people not applying it in a creative way or fulfilling way or lucrative way, why it, it would be a, it would take a strong leap for you to think otherwise. And I think I've seen that a lot in my own life, where people have never seen anything different, and so inevitably they sort of fall into like a replication mode, um, which is really hard to escape. And I think. Fortunately, now we have tools like the internet. We have tools that allow you to get outside of yourself, if you will, and see things that are different. And I think that's what I did, but it's hard. It is It is hard too, because I think we all achieve, or I think in society, especially in a, in a modern society where we don't have food scarcity, mm -hmm. people don't really have to struggle to survive. And I understand that if you like live in fucking Somalia, yeah. where there's no law and order, or Yemen, where there's like a civil war. I understand that it changes where you are. But in the United States, no one dies of starvation. Nope. There's like a certain level of like, people are homeless and people live on the street. But the general notion is that like, if you went to the Salvation Army or just tried, like you would get an opportunity to get out of that situation in the United States, period. You mm -hmm. wouldn't. So with this new benchmark, let's call it, mm -hmm. comes the attainment of just creature comforts. And once yeah. you attain them, then that's good enough for some people, which I respect, mm -hmm. right? But it is going above and beyond like the sustenance. It, it's like why there's so much ha home ownership in the United States, but half of all American adults can't pay for a $500 emergency. It makes no sense. It's crazy. It yeah. makes no sense it's a, how that's true. It's an aspirational mindset. Right, you exactly. Live up, it, live up to what you believe to be success. And sometimes having success isn't $600 in your bank account. It's having a house. It's right. having a car. You don't know how many of my friends... We're still living with their parents at age 18. They got their first job, didn't go to college, and right away dropped 25 grand on a car. 
or like I should say took a lease. Like, which is even worse. Again, it, it is, it is, <laughs> it is. And again, it's, it's aspirational and yeah. it, it's something that it's so embedded in your psyche that again, I, I, it's tempting to say, oh, well, they should just make a better decision. I'm not faulting people who yeah. think that way. But to me, it's like, that's what their older brother did. That's the, what they saw and uh, not totally re- removing them from responsibility. But I think that just has such a big role in it. It's um, a mixture of agency and, and, and like you is. said, and, and yeah. like I said, finding that ratio is so hard. It's difficult because where I, I guess some people, mm-hmm. like when we left IGN, for instance, people thought we were crazy mm-hmm. because it's like, well, why would you leave? And I'm like, well, because I'm about to double my income and own my own business. That's yeah. why I'm about to do it. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's obvious. It's obvious to take that step and make that, take yeah, that as risk. An econ, but, as an econ guy, I was kind of straightforward to understand why you guys left. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is that we saw it. Mm-hmm. Like, right. We saw, we looked into the matrix as it were, and we saw something that made sense where it was mm-hmm. like, we don't really need this place actually as much as they need us. And right. once we, once that whole thing flipped in our minds, which just happened one day, mm-hmm. dude, we were like, yeah, we're leaving. It's, you know? the, it's the classic, uh, in, in mixed martial arts or boxing, it's called the fighter, the fighter versus promotion dilemma where like the UFC, for example, always wants it to be about them. Like there's the, there, they bring the value to the fighter. But when a guy like Conor McGregor gets too big, the value becomes more about him than about the brand. So he wants to go promote his own fights, do his own thing. And that's like a constant conflict. And that's exactly what happened to you guys. And it happens to a lot of like online personalities right. is the following becomes more attached to them than the brand that they're associated with. Right. It's, the, it's that tension that makes all that's a natural tent, that natural, almost economic tension that made a lot of sense mm-hmm. to us. And when I founded Collins last stand, a lot of people thought I was crazy to leave kind of funny. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm again doing exactly what I just did. I'm going to own another business all by myself this time and make more money. Yeah. So this is, this is, these are the steps forward that are um, natural, where it's like economic and all this kind of stuff. But I bring that up only because there were steps in my mind that I never really uh, elucidated upon or like really elaborated upon to anyone, including mm-hmm. myself, that things that I didn't really realize until later on that were also these subconscious uh, decision makers in my mind that had nothing to do with money and nothing to do with people and nothing to do with jobs, but more about like quaint things like happiness or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I'm yep. not quite following your point. Sure. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that uh, we saw this economic model that right. made a lot of sense. Sure, that's straightforward. That's straightforward enough, mm-hmm. right? It's like a big contract that an athlete would sign, and you mm-hmm. and you understand the numbers. Sure. But within all of that binary were were all of these little things that I didn't realize were true at the time, but that were still tearing me towards it. Like, wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be nice to not get up at seven in the morning anymore? Now, I wasn't thinking about that. But in the back of my mind, when I started doing this stuff, I was like, yeah, that's actually a really great perk. Mm -hmm. Now, how can I, to your point about like, how can I make that work for me even more, Mm -hmm. you know, and so on and so forth, twisting the screws in such a way that I didn't really know uh, if that makes any sense. Those things existed behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. In other words you make these monetary decisions or you make these decisions for life work balance or all these things everyone talks about. But I really believe that there's a lot of machinery behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that make those things up that you can't really identify until you're in the moment. And it's the same thing owning CLS now. Like there are things I miss about being at IGN and kind of funny, but there's Mm -hmm. so much that works. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have been able to tell you any of that. You know, I wouldn't have been able to say like, other than the money situation, I don't know. You know, like, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know anything. But now I have a lot of wisdom and data that shows that these things worked out in beneficial ways beyond It's the like your impulses case. turned out to be right. And right. I think a lot of that is just your brain works, I think, in a lot of times based on pattern recognition. It's the same reason why you can study disparate things and kind of they do add something to your overall knowledge base. You start to just see patterns in the data. And even if you can't recognize them consciously in a verbal way, I think they still manifest in your feeling like you just start to associate it. How do you 
you're younger than me, so you have a little bit more of an association with the young kids out there. I guess. I'm losing my hair. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> Hairline's going back pretty quick. You should have seen it two years ago. Look at this. Come on. I don't know, man. I mean, that my would take my, my hair on. My dad said it to my mom the other day. He's like, oh, Mike's losing his hair. I was like, oh, man. I don't, th- I don't know, man. I think you're a little hard on yourself. Very handsome. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, so I, I wonder what you could... We have a lot of adults that obviously listen to Collins Last Stand. It skews mm-hmm. older, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of young people too. I'm always surprised when I hear about someone that like grad, just grad, just graduated high school like or me. whatever. Yeah, uh, like college. Okay, right, college. You're like young people, right? Mm-hmm. That are really impressionable. That I'm trying my very hardest to use whatever mm-hmm. small influence I have in their lives as I'm in their ear mm-hmm. every week to push something positive on them mm-hmm. about. Um worksmanship and about study and about saving money and about you know like all those things that are really important but i wonder what do you think the youngest generation the young generation that's coming up behind you what do you think they really need to know because this is a thing where i'm so like i have nieces and nephews that are too young right and then now i'm talking to someone like you but there's this gap in the middle like i don't know any teenagers right now right it's like people who listen to billy eilish and stuff if you know who that is no i have no idea i have no (laughs) idea what that is right not sex old town road is their favorite song oh is that the rap country song Mm -hmm. yeah okay i know that song it's It's a pretty good song yeah uh my my little nephew showed me that on the uh you know he loves telling alexa to play things i don't know why anyone would have a live microphone in their house mom um but what do you think they need to know? Because I think that there's a lot of concern about these kids. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know, there's a lot of concern about your generation too, by the mm-hmm. way. And I'm not getting that concern waving off of you. There was a lot of concern about laziness and apathy and uh, PC and all this kind of stuff. What is it that we should try to be instilling in our young kids today that are just going off to college now? Like, what is the less, like when I went to college in 2002 and 2003, no one was telling me shit. I didn't have like, I didn't have any, any of me this, either, trust right? Me. Like, that's why I started yeah, as a criminology major. Yeah. You, you figure <laughs> like I, I went to college for no American offense. history and I actually graduated with that, with that degree. What the fuck am I going to do with that degree? <laughs> right. But I did yeah. it nonetheless. So what, what kind of wisdom can we instill in these young kids that they can mm-hmm. take with them either to college or their trade school or into their career as they mm-hmm. graduate high school that they might not know right now that I, that would be like some pretty solid advice to them. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things, but. The one that jumps to mind for me is is financial literacy. I mean, you touched on it. Like, it's essential. It's essential. I mean, I, I I write about this sometimes, and I think about it a lot. And just just understanding the really basic things related to investing, using ETFs, saving money, understanding where you can cut corners. I think as an eighteen year old, you're just you you're so un, brutally unprepared for the world financially, especially if you're paying for college by yourself, especially if you don't have parents who might know much better than you. So just being able to, to instill some sort of financial literacy, and I think the best way you can do that, again, it, it, not to harp on it, but if you go online, if you go to r slash personal finance on Reddit, if you go to core and ask questions, like doing all that and just getting a sense for how you need to operate is so important because when you're, I have so many stories I hear, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be like emotional, but like my friends are 26, 27, 28, and they're 50 grand in the hole, 100 grand in the hole with no real path to get out. They end up in default, and guess what? The government passed a law where they can garnish your wages now. Yeah, and, and you can't. Ba- and you can't. By the no way, in the United out. States, you can't bankrupt yourself with no. student loans. You have even if you go bankrupt, no. you still owe that money. And you're, you're it's, which is unbelievable. It's an it's an unbelievable equation where you have a three party debt system where one party, the university, is completely removed from risk. Doesn't matter once you leave; it's not their problem anymore. The government did have some of the risk. Now they don't. So guess who all the risk is on? It's all on you. And like I said, people are brutally unprepared to navigate that. If they can find ways to educate themselves, it's so important. I agree. Financial illiteracy. Dude, I know people. It's not only that people get themselves in a hole. It's that people straight up are so 
fucking stupid sometimes with like how like money like where i just i look at situations i'm like what are you doing how are you how do you do this for a living and have no money you know like where where i I know some people i went to nu with that are engineers and Mm -hmm. all this and they're and some of these not broke but they're like you know living hand to mouth or they're like living you know you're 30 something years old and you're living Mm -hmm. with roommates yeah but you have an engineering degree and you make Mm -hmm. six figures like what the fuck is going on here you know and there's that frustrates me too because that's something that you just learn i learned about that my parents are very financially savvy but Mm -hmm. didn't really teach me any of that stuff yeah right like i they taught me the value of the dollar and my parents didn't give me any money i like if i you know i want a gi joe i want a star wars figure go mow the lawn you know go you know clean the house i think my parents had a similar approach but i think what what really helped me and i think could help other people is redefining how you look at money i think so many people still look at money as the key to fun like it's the pathway to fun that's it's the thing that gets you the thing you want to do but what if you looked at it as freedom the more money you have Yes. The more free you are yes. to do what you actually want to do. If you want to leave kind of funny or IGN and start your own business, well, guess what? If you have a cushion, it's a lot easier to take on that, that risk, make that decision. If you even, even like on a much smaller level, if you, if I'm right now and I'm with this consulting firm and I just freaking hated it, but let's say I had, you know, even 20, 30 grand, 40 grand in the bank, like it's a completely different decision than if I had $500, $1,000, So look at money as freedom. And it, it's, it's inherently a little bit of double thing, a little bit of contradiction because you can also become chained to that freedom if you're just so addicted to the pursuit of it. But find that balance where you can look at it as the path to let you actually do what you want to do. Even if what you want to do is just have a nice life with your family, send your kid to a good school. That's what I care more about than like buying anything. Right. I'm, I'm with you 100%. I was a, and we've talked about this in the past because I really tried to give financial advice, logical and sound financial advice in some loose way to the audience. Mm-hmm. When I was making $40,000 a year at IGM when I got out of college, which is not a lot of money. I know a lot, some people think that that's a lot of money, but it's, in San it's, Francisco. it's not a lot of money. It's, it's below the median income. And uh, in San Francisco, it's fucking literally nothing. Mm. Uh, but I still managed to save a lot of money at mm-hmm. IGM because the advice I always gave to people was just say no more often than you say yes. Mm-hmm. Someone wants to go to the bar? No. Someone wants to go to the bar? No. Someone wants to go to the bar? Yeah, okay. It's just a matter of saying no sometimes. That's the advice I always give is like you can't live in the pursuit, like you said, of creature comfort, ha- like happiness at a bar or like, you right. know, going to the movies or whatever. And you're, you put it so well, Mike, where it's, it's, it is freedom. The fact of the matter is mm-hmm. I love saving money. And mm-hmm. I think, and I think to the Tip. point, I think to the point you made, like I'm actually somewhat of a slave to it. And this was a thing that. Same. And that's why it's hard, right? It, it is, is hard. Mike, I'm, dude, I, I don't even <laughs> want to use exact term. Well, I guess I will. I, I want to be honest with the audience. When I saved 50 grand when I was at IGN, which mm-hmm. just put had it put away. Mm-hmm. I lived well below my means. I didn't buy clothes. I didn't go out to eat. I didn't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So you lose out on some of that stuff. And I remember my girlfriend at the time saying like, when will it be enough? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's never going to be enough. And lo and behold, yeah. many years and many times past that, it yeah. is still not enough. But what you're saying is really key because it's what you do with that money, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so people need to, and it's the unglamorous shit, right? Like I, I when I go to my, talk to my financial advisor or my, I go to the bank or whatever, I always pick their brains. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is a good thing that you probably would agree with too. When you, when there are smart people or people that know shit around you, just pick their brains about stuff if you want to know. Mm-hmm. And I learned all this stuff about like, where I was like, they're like, yeah, if you buy CDs at different banks, it splits up your FDI, FDIC insurance and it'll keep up with inflation. And it's a really mm-hmm. non-glamorous way, but safe way to invest if you don't mm-hmm. want to spend your money. And so you need to learn this kind of stuff. Make the money work for you. I have a credit card uh, that I get 3% back on every time I buy something. So I just pay it off every week. And then I just make 3% back on everything I buy. Mm-hmm. If you think about money like that, and I'm sure you do, 
then your life changes. And if you constantly go to pursue things and spend your money mm-hmm. and waste your money and don't say no, then you're always going to be saying no later on. And that's why yeah. I look towards a life, hopefully, where I can start saying yes a lot more, where I'm comfortable doing that. I love the way you put it. It's and, such a great way of putting it that and, it just it equals freedom. And I get such a such a sullen and sunk feeling in me when I think about people the, the, like we just said, that don't have five hundred dollars to rub together. No, I'm not, I'm, that's a lot of money. It's depressing. It's a lot of money. But if you don't, if you're working a job and you have a family and a house, and you have five hundred bucks. Like, the, yeah. I to to your point, I disagree with you a little bit on one thing that I think that there needs to be put more agency on the on the individual. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Ben Shapiro fan. I, I like him sometimes, but he does say something really interesting. If you graduate from high school, if you don't have a kid out of wedlock and whatever, all those kinds of things, you're gonna be fine. Yeah, as long as you work. You're just going to be fine. There's no way you're going to be on the street. There's no way you're going to be without. And so there's little pieces of advice like that where I just want to shake people sometimes. Actually, Kenneth Kopnick, who's a buddy of mine who owns a toy store (laughs) in Ohio, he was on the show a few weeks ago. And he said something where we were talking about collectors coming in and and you feel bad about knowing that some of these guys have fucking no money and it's your business to basically kind of take advantage of the situation, right? It's It's your kind of job to say like this toy is worth... 50 bucks, I'll give you 10. Yep. You need it really bad and I'll sell it and make a profit off of it. But it saddened me to know where he was saying like, people get it stuck even in these situations where they collect something, they're out of money, they sell their entire collection to go collect something else. Yep. And I'm like, but why? What is the point? Just save your money. You know, so. Again, it's that, it's that contradiction I alluded to earlier. Yeah. Long-term horizons versus short-term. Mm. It's so hard to escape short-term horizons. You see it. I see it in society all across. Like you look at politics, it's a constant dilemma. Why why do we struggle to pass good legislation? Because politicians can't think in long time horizons. Our incentive structure doesn't make it that way. Right. And it bleeds all the way down into society where people can't look at something that doesn't benefit them right now or the next month or the next year. It's so hard. It's it's abstract. And it, it is abstract. Like if I put hundred dollars in my four hundred one K, like look, you can do a simple calculation. There's a eight percent return on, on average the S P five hundred. So say all your four hundred one K money goes in the S P five hundred. In theory, in, in the next like 30-ish years, you should see your money about 10x, maybe 9x to 11x, okay? So if you put in $100 this year in 401k, when you're 50 years old or 55 years old, if you're 25 like me or 24, that's going to be $1,000, right? Well, guess what? If you put $1,000 in, it's going to be 10. If you put 10, it's going to be 100. And that, that makes sense. Keep doing that every year. It's But it's hard because a 55-year-old you, it's tough to care about him. He's yeah. way far away. What is the, that guy. It's the old Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> joke about... Um, night jerry and morning jerry and about how they're always in conflict with each other night yeah. jerry wants to stay up and watch you know the <laughs> late night true. show and all that but then morning jerry hates night jerry and it's know? a joke because yeah. it's such a common problem right. of just like ah future collins problem future mike's problem whatever. right exactly and and, and and you're so right it's it's important to live in that in that space mm-hmm. it, it, I, I i'm just so enamored that you said you brought up the point of freedom because that's always the way i looked at it mm-hmm. the i'm such a paranoid and concerned mm-hmm. person about all sorts of things that removing the concern about the most important stuff, which is like how you're going to live, how you're going to feed yourself, where you're going to live, removing all of that from my the equation for my mind, which I did years ago by being smart with my money, mm-hmm. freed me up not only to be paranoid about a whole host of other things, it, you know, and I'm joking, but that's true. Yeah, but also it just freed true. me up to be like, I don't have to think about that stuff really. And I can say yes to really big things sometimes and do fun stuff. Guys, I just want you guys out there to really internalize that it's important man it's so important save your money please save listen to your that little, money little dicky song you know that one save that money yeah yeah I love <laughs> just listen to that internalize it it's so important guys i know i like 
I still have a 1080p TV hanging on my wall from like 2012. And in, in, in I could easily afford a new TV. It's just like, but why? Mm-hmm. It was funny. Erin and I thought it was broken the other day. And she's, and I was really bummed out about it. And she's like, dude, it's a seven-year-old TV. Just go buy a new TV. And it ended up not being broken. But I'm like, I don't want to buy a TV. Like, it's just a complete waste of money, you know? And yeah. so, guys, think about it through the, funnel everything through the, you know, not everything, but a lot of your stuff through that. And, you know, as Mike's saying, and I'm telling you right now, you're going to be happy you did it because yeah. it's going to just, it's going to unencumber you from so much weight of just surviving. Then you can use all that gray matter in your mind, all that brilliant gray matter mm-hmm. to figure out the next thing that's going to make you even more money or make you get, find you more success. And it's corny as hell, but the best things in life are not the most expensive, right? No. Like it's time with your loved ones. It's doing the things you like to do. It's being outside. It's reading that great book, watching that great show. It's not dropping money on bottles at the club. No. Oh my <laughs> God, dude. I, I could, I could never, first of all, I haven't gotten to a club in a long time, but I can never imagine going to a club, getting a bottle of whatever <laughs> Belvedere, which I can go buy for 35 bucks. Like 2000. And yeah, and you pay $2,000 or $1,500 yeah. for it just to sit there and look cool. But what, who's really going to look cool is the 50 year old that's uh, not living in a fucking shack. Yep. That's what's going to that's what's going to look pretty cool. Damn, damn right. <laughs> and so and so that's it's it's such an important message. And that's why I, I try to live with my own company. Like I give my, mer- you know, we don't give our merch away for free, but we give all the high res logos for free. If you can't. And I say it, if you can't afford it, do not buy it. If you can't afford to be a patron, do not be a patron. If this is some people have come to me and been like, dude, you know, you're I'm really having struggle struggle making ends meet but i gotta pay that five dollars i'm like no you don't <laughs> no you don't yep. save your five dollars <laughs> listen to the show for free yeah you know uh i've never um i've never been disappointed with the results of my business by being honest and telling people to save their money it's actually only benefited me and it's certainly benefited the people out there that i'm trying to reach as opposed to wringing them dry and shaking them upside down like a lot of people online do to their fans mm-hmm. uh i don't want to do that so uh, I love that. I love that piece of advice. Money is so it's scary, but it's so fundamental and so important. Um, and I, I, I never get tired of reading about it. I always look at my stocks in the morning. I love looking at my investments. I love reading about That's the market. It's, it's, it's <laughs> sometimes it's really harrowing as it was in recent Trade weeks. You can't look at it. I made some rules. I got to limit the checks per week. Yeah. I can't look at Trump's Twitter and I can't look at that. Yeah. It's, it, it, it was, you know, Uber's finally below where I bought it, which bummed me out. I was because I was really riding on that for a while. And they are burning cash. Yeah, no I, I'm I'm a, I'm not nervous about it because it's not that big of an investment. But uh, n- but nonetheless, like it's it's just that you can you you too out there can do this kind of stuff, and it doesn't require you to have a big income. That's why I brought up the IGN thing earlier when I was making no money and I was broke. You can still save. You can still pioneer a path for yourself. Um, and I hope that you guys do. You know, I hope that you guys do. Mike, before we wrap things up, I was wondering if there's any like kind of closing comments or kind of like, you know, you, you seem like a guy full of a lot of wisdom, right? <laughs> You're wit- wise beyond your years for sure. I'm, when I was fucking 24 years old. I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm still yeah. an idiot. Don't worry. I mean, like I, I started to get it together by the time yeah. I was 24, but I've always said, and I think the audience knows, I really think you're about to turn 25. I really think 25 is the pivotal year. I think mm-hmm. 25 is when you um, stop looking back and cringing at yourself or mm-hmm. you stop wondering why you made those certain decisions and you really become an adult mm-hmm. um so you're about to pass through that although i think you might have passed it earlier than mm-hmm. i have but i'm wondering like w- mm-hmm. what's some takeaway advice that we haven't talked about yet or some ways we can encapsulate what we're trying to tell the audience that might be uh relevant to them i think we talked about a lot of good things i want to pose a question to you which is yeah given what where you're at now what you've done so far and the fact that like i said i don't want to look at things in end state fashion but if you were to think about a conceptual end state where con is 
he's fully evolved in the Pokemon sense. He's right. reached his final form. Like, what is that for you? How do you define what, where that happiness lies, whether it's financial happiness, personal happiness, geographic happiness, whatever it is? Yeah, it's, I define it as, I love to be retired in my 40s. Um, I've said that before. I'd love to walk away. And, you know, I, I'm not looking to be like, a, I'd like to be a multimillionaire. That'd be great. But, um, and we're working, we're working towards that goal for mm-hmm. sure. That's a goal. That's a goal, right? But I'm not looking to be filthy rich and like all that kind of stuff. I just want what you were saying before was like comfort. I want a house, a little bit of land. I don't want to pay for it. I want it to be paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, I even have this fantasy of paying my property taxes like 20 years ahead of time. So I could just be like, not have any bill. And guess what the, yeah. all that is? That's freedom. Right. Exactly. That's literally freedom. Now, some people think that's stupid as shit because of inflation and stuff like that. But that's <laughs> kind of like my dream is to just is to have enough where I don't have any bills except for, you know, your utility bills and stuff. And like you said, have the freedom to live and the freedom to actually explore some of these other things that I want to do. I'd love to really sit down and finally write. And I'd love to sit down and, um, you know, I'd love to be closer to my family again, like I used to be, you know, ge- so you're talking about geography. Like mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking to move out of California. I like that's a big component for a lot of people. Right. By the time this might go, this goes live, I might have already decided to leave California. We don't, we, and that's, that's, I'm not being facetious. Go? Where would you go? I'm going to Virginia probably if I were to move, which is where family, a lot of my family yeah. is relocated to Richmond, which is a beautiful place okay. and cheap. I can live like a fucking, for what I pay for this apartment, I can own yeah. like a fucking five bedroom house. It's always hard when you compare the cities to the major cities to other markets and you're like, wow, shit. Yeah. My, my dad's <laughs> trying to level me off on that where I was complaining about how much I pay for this apartment and he's like, you're this apartment in New York city where you always wanted to live would be three times more expensive. So oh, yeah, I should I live, shut the fuck up. I live in a glorified closet. I'm like Harry Potter under the cupboard. Kind yeah. Of, it's, you know I mean? but again, it's these different sacrifices, right? And so that's my goal is like, uh, I don't know that I'll ever be able to turn off the work gene because I like getting things done. Like I, I try to be lazy sometimes. I, I on a constant basis, Mike, I'm always like, today I'm not working today. You know, I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm going to smoke a joint and play again. It never, work, it never works out. <laughs> it hard. never works out like that. Uh, but that's kind of the end goal is like just to parlay this uh, financial security that I've I've worked for and the intelligence that I think I've shown in, in earning that money and saving it and keeping it as opposed to buying shit with it, which I didn't. I the biggest thing I ever bought, this is true, the most I've ever paid for anything, I think is a $2,500 scooter. Mm-hmm. Uh which I bought and I actually had a finance because I was so broke when I paid it. So that just goes to show you guys, I've never even made a big purchase. Yeah, you avoided life. the car. I heard you talk about that. In another yeah, episode. I hate cars. That's I don't huge. Want, Same. Yeah. I don't want one either. Hold so, now for that self-driving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the Uber service. You know? Definitely. We're getting there. We're, <laughs> I mean, I think it's coming quicker than people think. So, yeah, I don't know if that's like kind of a that's kind of a winding answer, but I think that that's kind of what it looks like for me. I just I want space and I want time. You know what I mean? Like space isn't a currency. It's a it's a it's a reality, but time is a currency, and that's the that's the thing that I'm really trying to look at the most. Time is just fucking going out the window, and I'm I'm out here in California, away from my family, away from the people that mean the most to me, and I gotta you know I gotta fix that situation and, and amend it in some way that uh, makes the most sense. So that's you, I'm I'm ten years ahead of you, so that's kind of where I am now. I imagine you'll be you know in you, a settling. You, you situation. made choices that gave you the freedom to do that too, so it's all part of the journey. So I hope you don't look at it as like um wasting time or whatever you you invest in yourself you invest in your own company and guess what the outcome of that investment you're free to go live with your family to keep doing what you love right that's a beautiful thing i should go live with my mom live with my mom Mm -hmm. because she would love that and then just not and then just keep making the money and then have no expenses your mom's cool as hell i love that episode thank you yeah she's great (laughs) i mean she the the fact that i've set the seed that i might move to virginia it has my family like amped up Mm -hmm. to an almost scary degree because i'm like uh i have had this three thousand mile buffer zone between us for since I was 22 mm-hmm. and uh, well, that's going to be eroded away, I guess, as I uh, move over there. But I think it's important. You see, those are the things, it's the things that you can't quantify that I think are most important. And it's like watching my nephews and nieces grow up and um, being closer to my siblings again. I, I think that that's, 
that's kind of the goal, right? And on the other hand, right, you you had said something earlier that I, I, I want to take issue with just a little bit where you were saying, uh, talking about money and I guess the parallel between money or the relationship between money and happiness. And mm-hmm. I, I've said it before, but I always love this Ben Affleck quote um, from Boiler Room where he said the the anyone who says the money of the money is the root of all evil never had any, right? Which I think is a really great yeah. line. And that's something else people need to internalize and keep never, in their minds. I've never well. heard a broke person tell me money doesn't matter. Right. It's another it, one I like. It, it, yeah, that's a great. <laughs> and I agree. <laughs> I mean, so I agree money you. matters a great deal. And, and that's, so it's about, guys, it's about that balance. That's it. Be smart. You know, do safe investments. God, I didn't start investing in the market until I had money to lose. Uh, you know, CDs are great. I love CDs. Just roll money over into CDs constantly. At least keeps up with inflation while you figure mm-hmm. out what you want to do. And, uh, you know, don't get in over your heads. I, I think, I don't think the economy is going to be in great shape for much longer. No, we're cruising for a recession. Yield curves back inverted. I saw that. And a lot of people have been taking issue with me talking about that, being like, that doesn't always predict it. I'm like, guys, I think, I think we're... I think Predicts it with a fair degree of certainty, plus yeah. the trade war, everything else. I think you can say within the next, like, probably 18 months, it's pretty likely we'll enter another recession. Yeah. But what that will look like, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, but nonetheless, uh, do you want people to be able to find you online? I always, I always yeah. end fireside chats with that inquiry. Yeah, I would love people to find me. I mean, you can find me on uh, on Medium. My name is Mike B A C I O R. I write a lot of blog posts about kind of some of the stuff we talked about today. You can find me on LinkedIn if you just want to chat. You can find me on Twitter, Mike Bash thirteen, wherever. I'm always happy to talk to people. So cool, okay. great, and I love that you brought up LinkedIn because LinkedIn is such a contentious website. I love. I don't know if you know, but like you must know that oh, yeah, I, that I, like some people hate it. But then the CEO of IGN, I remember, I'll never forget he said this. Mm-hmm. He's not the CEO anymore, but back when I, he's like, I would never hire someone without a LinkedIn profile. He just said it in a meeting once and yeah. I was like, oh shit. And then I, I went and go and made one. It's another equalizer, like not to keep hitting that same same stick, if you will, but like I didn't know anybody in consulting. I never met anyone who worked at the companies I wanted to work at, but guess what? I could go find them. Guess what? They wanted to talk to me. Like, wow, just a message away. Everyone everyone in the world almost that you want to reach professionally. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Great. And even if a lot of people turn you down or just ignore you, you're going to- A gonna, lot of people are going to f- turn you down. Who cares? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you're not going to know unless you put yourself out there. That's kind of the the strange give and take of everything in life yeah. is you expose yourself. And then when you're in that position to be helpful, make sure you do that too. That's Absolutely. Important. You got to pay it forward. You got to pay yeah, it you forward. You have to. And it feels good. It's it's complete. And who knows who that person will become. They might surpass you and be able to give you a great job someday. So don't look at people as just like, oh, they're wasting my time. Everyone has a great potential. So look at that. Absolutely. I love that positivity. Let's end it on that note. Mike, thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate, sir. appreciate you. you having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you all out there for listening to Fireside Chats. I don't know if this is going to be the last episode, but I was going to say see you next time, but I don't know if that's true or not. But we'll see you around, I guess. All right. Bye. Fireside Chats is a product of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Fireside Chats is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Fireside Chats, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom.
Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Rudon Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jagger, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Anti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Kodalak, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Moss, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Homeworld Hub, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadeth, IQ Train, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Rainick, and Casual Misfits Gaming.